Welcome to another edition of the SoxProspects.com podcast. This is episode number 51, and I I just realized last time we didn't acknowledge the fact that we had hit 50-ish episodes. Um, there's more than that because for some reason there were a couple episodes that we didn't count in the numbering. I'm not quite sure why, but um, there were also some early ones that are just downright terrible that I think we pulled off of the website because they're so bad, to be honest. <laughs> Um, when was the first one again? 2009? Uh, I don't know. Someone can look while I do the intro, but um, something like that. Um, four of us gathered around a microphone in Mike Andrews' basement um, talking uh, Red Sox prospects, which is not yeah. creepy at all. But, <laughs> September 29th, 2009, so right oh, after 2009 season. Good Lord. Um, yeah, I think we had a tagline that was like, Nesson can cover Lars... Um, yeah, Bard and someone else will Bowden. handle the rest. Bowden, right? <laughs> Which is hilarious in hindsight. But um, it didn't say who was on that one. But Ian Theodoritis was on a lot of those early. Ian Theodoritis, me, Mike, and um, Singer. Yes, yeah, it would have been Melon. No, Singer came later. Yeah, in two thousand, um, the first one, two thousand ten appearance. But anyways, welcome yeah. everybody. Um, the voices uh, that you hear right now, the first one is mine. I'm Chris Hatfield. Thanks for joining us. Um, we also, you also hear the voice of Matthew Hegel. Hello, Matt. Hey, Chris. Good to be here again. And the other voice you hear is from across the pond, our friend Ian Cundall. Hi, Ian. How you doing, guys? Um, we've got a action-packed episode for you guys today. No guests, but that means we can get to the treasure trove of emails that we have built up over the past uh, month plus from you guys so we really appreciate it uh as always you can email us at podcast at socksprospects.com that's new it's podcast at socksprospects.com and if you can't remember that well um i don't know what to tell you but uh at any rate yeah we're always welcome your emails so we're gonna hit some listener emails and plus uh this past weekend matt and i went to the new stars for young stars uh fundraiser for the jimmy fund at uh, jillian's uh, Lucky Strike Lanes in in uh, Boston on Ipswich Street, um, which was kind of a crazy day uh, around Fenway because that was the same day as Frozen Fenway. Um, they had new stars for young stars, and that night was the um, Hot Stove Cool Music concert. So things were kind of crazy around there, and I had to pay thirty bucks for parking. So I was pretty po'd about that. But it, yeah, a lot going on, and I'm sure a lot of those writers wished it was more spread out, especially the yeah. Hot Stove event. Well, I have to, I have to, we have to give some props. I did this on Twitter, but Brian McPherson of oh, yeah. Providence Journal, same days of Patriots, went and covered the Patriots game that night. Um, that drive must have sucked. Yeah, that must have been pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I know after the event, um, the next thing that I did after getting home um, was take a nap, actually, um, and it was wonderful. So. Apparently, Brian instead drove to Foxborough and covered the Patriots game. Um, but at least he got to interview Charles Barkley afterwards, so that's cool. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was a pretty hilarious scene from the Patriots clubhouse afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you guys are going to effing suck when Brady and Belichick leave. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's not like he's wrong, though. No, he's not at all. That's um, that's a different. That's the uh, Patriots prospects podcast that'll come yeah. up later this week. Patriots. What would it, is, is an NFL guy a prospect? A, a Patriots Futures? Patriots sure, depth, depth signings. PatriotsPracticeSquad.com. Practice squad, yeah. Hey, it's an untapped market. Once you get into that. Hey, at one point it would have covered my boy James Devlin from Brown. That's <laughs> all I care about. 
It's only like eight players, so uh, it might be it might be a short, <laughs> very lesson. short. What they do this week? They practiced. Also, <laughs> easy two of to them got released. <laughs> two of them got released, and him. one got called up to the regular squad. Anyway, we should probably stop BSing. Um, as usual, you can also follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com/slash socksprospects. Um, follow us on Twitter as well at socksprospects. I'm at sp Chris Hatfield. Matt. At Matt Hegel, S-P, and it's H-U-E-G-E-L for my last name. Ian? Uh, at, at Ian Cundall, I-A-N-C-U-N-D-A-L-L. Cool. So uh, y'all can follow us there. And like I said, uh, your emails are always welcome. I'm glad we're going to be able to get back to some of these. We've got some great, great questions this week um, that we have to hammer out before Ian needs to go. So let's jump right into it. Um, unless the message that Ian is typing to me is important. Um, oh yes, we should. His 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 message to me was important. Um, good work, Ian. Um, you. Actually, you know what? Do you want to do it? Because it's your idea. Uh, just can you do it? Because okay, because you're yeah, all of them. <laughs> lame sauce. Um, uh, yeah, we should um, throw some dap to our uh, newest hires and promotions at the website, um, which we announced on January first. Which means that the story has gone off of the front page of the news page. And I'm going to take a little bit longer. No, we never actually it. put it on the news page. No, yeah, it was on oh, Twitter. Oh, it wasn't on the news page. It was just on Twitter. Yeah, okay. but I can do it if you want because I have them. If the you have it up, please do it because we've already ruined this part of the story. <laughs> sure. So the, the, I'll, I'll pro- I might butcher some of these names, but the first one is Chaz Fiorino, who is a scout that uh, you know that will be reporting to Ian. And uh, he's a graduate of UMass and spent four years working in baseball operations and uh, also has – completed the MLB Scouting Bureau development program. And then uh, – I was going to say we're really excited to have him aboard. Um, I think he's going to bring uh, new new some new stuff to the team having you know written industry-level reports before. So I think it's really good hire. Looking forward to working with him. Yep. And, yeah, uh, and then, how about uh, your guys, Matt? Second under me will be and, – and Chris, obviously. Uh, Harry Burnham and Brian Gagnon uh, as, Gagnon? as staff. Gagnon? Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, not not great pronunciation, but um, staff, as staff editors, and um, Harry wrote has written for Bosox Injection, and uh, he's from New Hampshire, and uh, is is currently attending University of St Andrews, and uh, has background AP style, and Brian actually is working as master's degree in interactive journalism at American right now, and. Uh, very excited to have both of them as well. They'll be working on editing some of the news page stuff and uh, maybe doing some writing as well. And then Tim Healy, our, uh, who was formerly a staff writer, is now being promoted to feature writer. We're hoping to get him out in the field more next season and mm-hmm. doing more interviews and uh, generally uh, writing some columns. He's had he's written some stuff for w, WEI.com and uh, MLB.com, so he's had some experience with uh, – being out in the field and writing those kind of stories as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good it's a good group. We're really happy about it. Um, happy that we're adding to our overseas Sox prospects team. I was we, just thinking the same thing. We it's are international good. now, baby. We are everywhere. We are Reporting everywhere. at all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so convenient. The sun it's doesn't con- set on the SoxProspects.com nation. It's really convenient <laughs> if you're an editor, i got to say. Yeah, that's what I figured. Having not being an editor, but... Yeah, you know, yeah, he'll get up nice and early and have that just sitting there for him every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a <laughs> cup of coffee. Um, it's just 
making yeah, its return should, in April. Get ready. We should we should throw we should throw some dap to our staff because that's that can be a real pain to write and then edit. But our our guys do a great job on that every day to serve you guys some nice fresh Java. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Anyway, um, let's jump into the emails. We got a bunch. Um, thank you everybody who sent uh, sent in emails. Sorry, some of these are over a month old just because we've had um, you know other stuff happening with guests and things. Um, but now we've got some time, so we wanted to hit them. Um, our first email is from frequent emailer uh, Will Noise. No, yes, or something. Um, Will, event, next email you send, please tell me how to pronounce your name. Um, Will is over in Germany. Um, we're everywhere. Um, but Will says, uh, Chris, first off, happy holidays. <sighs> We'll get to these quicker from now on, I promise. Um, <laughs> I'm cleaning up today after making Thanksgiving for my German friends. The best part of making Thanksgiving dinner for Germans is they have no idea what it's supposed to taste like since the meal is just some mythical thing they see on TV and in the movies. Um, at the end of the day, they think it's fantastic regardless, and we get to hang out and have fun. As a side note, they had never seen a turkey before but had heard of it. One friend, actually British but has lived here for 10 years, managed to find cranberry sauce in the American section of a local store. They have never heard of cornbread or eggnog or stuffing. Um, I think these are the people that that song. Uh, this is me, not him. Um, I think these are the people that that song. Do they know it, it's Christmas? Was was about in the eighties. How have you never had uh, cornbread? That's just terrible. Um, Dude, anyway. it's Germany. Cornbread. I mean, I guess you have pretzels instead. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. you don't have cornbread in Germany. Uh, Having been, to, I've been to Germany a few times. Uh, <laughs> There's right. no anyway. such thing as cornbread. All right. Well. Back to the email. Thankfully, they have recently been to Amsterdam and brought me back some local beer and then some stuff about beer. Um, Will and I talk about beer a lot. Um, he also sent along a picture, um, which is pretty neat, of the beer, not not like a dong pick or anything. Um, anyway, as far as the Red Sox go, do other teams have anything like the rookie orientation program? I don't think that it turns an average player into an all-star, but I think it can very much help the adjustment period for prospects coming up. Best regards, Will. Will, thank you for the email. Always a pleasure to get an email from you. Um, I want to make sure we hit this one because the rookie orientation program is this week. Um, it's a, it's the, for those who aren't familiar, the rookie orientation program was started. It was actually started in 2004. I just realized that we thought it had started in 07, but I'm looking at our wiki right now, and it started in, uh, in 2004. Um, it used to take place at Boston College, though now it's uh, at Harvard which I realize we should probably update the wiki on that. Um, it's basically a, a week or 10-day long camp as it's gone through through the years um, that allows the organization's uh, kind of coaches and staff to instruct um, the, the major league ready or major league ready-ish prospects in the system for life in the big leagues. Um, the players, they're tutored on the, me tutored on the mental and physical aspects of playing in the majors, especially in Boston. There's uh, sessions where they deal with media, money management, alcohol, drugs, umpire relations, uh, other things like that. They also have workouts, uh, getting personalized instruction. Um, also gives the players a chance to get to know some of their fellow up-and-coming prospects because they haven't necessarily played together. Um, I know, for example, I talked to Blake Swihart, um, who is participating in the program this year, about Christian Vasquez, the other catcher that he's always kind of mentioned in the same breath as, and he had never actually played with him because they've been at different levels, but they are uh, both participating this year um so it gets you know kind of hang out a little bit get to know each other i know last year there was a funny video that came out where kind of jackie bradley was holding court in the locker room doing like a fake interview with bryce brents or something um and like xander bogart's just kind of hanging out in the background it's it's pretty funny 
Um, this year, the participants were uh, are not were uh, um, Matt Barnes, um, Garen Cicchini, um Dalia Hinojosa, the the Cuban that the Red Sox signed this off season, um, Devin Marrero, Henry Owens, Noe Ramirez. Um, who, by the way, is apparently coming into spring training stretched out as a starter, according to a report today, which yeah. I found very interesting. Considering I don't, he I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I, mean, I don't get it I, either. So, there's actually someone refuting that. Uh, oh, really? Okay. okay. That would that, make more sense. He was really good yeah. out of the bullpen last year. And it, right. Like, like right. major league, like you put a major league grade on him. Also, there is no room for more starters in the high minors. So well, I that's would... something we'll discuss definitely on a future right. podcast. Yeah, I think right. I think that was misinterpreted, and it was supposed and it was actually talking more about the Britain Workman Group, and and he never mentioned Noe Ramirez specifically, but some people interpreted interpreted it, that way. it as Noe Ramirez. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah, because um, he was, was. I saw him as a starter, and he wasn't. It just he's only a two pitch guy, and it's yep. not starter starter uh, body. What would you say? Fast, fastball change. Yeah, and it's not a starter's build. I mean, it's and like a show. Me, it's a show me slider, and the delivery. It's like a yeah, slider. Low right? three quarters. Almost. Yeah, gotcha. It's good out of the pen, though. He was very impressive out of the pen in Portland last year. Um, anyway, the last the last four guys are uh, Anthony Renato, Travis Shaw, Blake Swihart, and Christian Vasquez. Um, it's a good group. In case you're wondering, why isn't this other guy there? Um, some guys that did it last year include Jackie Bradley, Xander Bogarts, Bryce Brent, Drake Britton, Ruby Larosa, Alex Hassan, Chris Hernandez, Brock Holt, Christian Vasquez, who is apparently back for the second time, uh, Alan Webster, and Stephen Wright. So between those two lists, you've got most of the guys that are going to be making the majors this year. Um, but looking back, it was a program that the team started in 2004 um, with a crew that, can I just say who was there that year? It was Jamie Brown, Andy Dominique, Mark Malaska. Anastasio Martinez, Phil Siebel, and Kevin Euclidus. Um One I think out I of six. Three of those names. Which of these yeah. names doesn't belong? <laughs> the next year isn't much better. The next year, the only well, the next year had Lester Papelbon, Del Carmen, and Hanley, and Kelly Shopik. So, so I guess it was better. <laughs> um, and Pedroia. Sorry. Okay, it was much better. Um, never mind. But it's great some of the names that you see, like Nick Debar. Like I didn't, I wouldn't have remembered him. Um, I don't know who that is? Um, Kyle Didn't, Jackson. Uh, Juan Carlos Linares go a few years ago. Uh, he did in 2011. Um, it's like his along first with the crew that looks like it mostly has made the majors or will make the majors. Actually, um, let's see. The year before that, Randor Beard. Remember him? <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's see, Dewan Day in 2009. I don't know if he ever actually pitched in the organization. I think and West Littleton. I, I think they were both. I think they were both gone by the time the season started. Um, yeah, and there's an MLB program that I'm not sure if the Red Sox send people every year, but I know two years ago they sent Will Middlebrooks because there was no program in 2012. Um, in 2010, the Red Sox sent three guys. Um, Aaron Bates, Dustin Richardson, and Mark Wagner, none of who had any significant impact in Boston, ironically. Um, so they, there's an MLB program at times as well. Um, I'm not sure if it's just the Red Sox don't send guys every year um, or what. Anyway, getting to the, the actual question, um, not to cop out, but we're not sure if other teams do it. Um, apparently, um, the Cubs have a version now, which I think I have seen which would make sense because Theo Epstein would have brought it over to the Cubs. Um, also, their system is just as loaded and um, 
has lots of very, very good players. Um, so that might make sense for them to start doing that because they've got a bunch of guys that are about to come up. Um, we haven't been able to find anyone else that does it. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I kind of looked, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you could do a whole research project about it, but right, it, it, there's how nothing about, really easy to Google on it. How, so, yeah. How about this? If anybody knows of another team that has a rookie program like this, um, <laughs> send it on over. Or tweet us. Um, I think we heard um, Cleveland might have done something similar to with when Farrell right, was when there. Farrell but... was there, yes. Um, but it turned out the fact that he brought it over was was false because they did it beforehand. Right. So, yeah. Maybe influenced it in some some direction. Yeah, but... Made them bring it back, perhaps, because he came after a year in which they didn't have it. Um, oh, okay. Because hmm. he he came after the year where they apparently just sent Craig Hansen to the MLB program. So. Um, I I was just gonna. Uh, talk a little bit about the participants this year. Um, I was just a little a little surprised that Swihart was going, but then you mentioned Christian Vasquez went last year too, so mm-hmm. maybe that is a thing with uh, with catching right. prospects they think are close. That right, you well, know, that, Vasquez that, went last year and he had no shot at coming up. You know, right? Because that's what I was going to say is like with someone like Mookie Betts. I know people asked about, and it's usually only if they think there's a real shot they're going to make the majors. Like right. Matt Barnes wasn't in it last year, for instance, even though he was starting at double A in a similar sort of a similar situation. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's a bit surprising because I don't really think Swihart has a chance to make the majors this year. I mean, you know, perfect world, you know, if there's a ton of injuries, maybe. But um, yeah, Swihart's the only one on that list that I would be very surprised if he made P- Pawtucket this year. Never mind. The majors. Well, yeah, maybe like a cup of coffee, or like a cup of coffee at the end. Yeah, for, if, yeah, like, yeah. If they, like Vasquez got this year, but right as of now, there's no room for him in Pawtucket either. No. There's three catchers on that roster. No, so. exactly, and it's exactly the reason why, for example, Barnes and Renato didn't last year. You know, because um, they're just—I mean—they didn't even get invites to Major League Spring Training because there was just no room for them. Um, but yeah, so that's the rookie development program. Um, yeah, I mean the rest of the crew, like I said, they're they're all guys who might get up to Boston this year for the most part. Uh, other than I don't think Travis Shock or Murray well, you never know. I mean, you could there's a plausibility right that he starts in Pawtucket, and, and the first basement goes down, down too. I mean, it's him and Brandon Snyder, right? Um, yeah, Lavarnway. I guess Hassan. Well, Lavarnway hasn't played first yet, so he should start playing first. He should. This is true. Um, for another time. But anyways, we yeah. gotta we I gotta get moving. Hassan there, yeah, Hassan too. Nava. Hassan's got some chops over there. He can yeah. pick it. But uh, at any rate, um, thanks for the email, Will. Um, next question is from uh, Sean Kernahan, and Sean uh, Sean's email says, uh, "Nice and short and sweet." The Red Sox seem to have incredible depth in the organization at second base, which is the position with seemingly the least amount of space in the big league lineup for the next nine years with Pedroia there. Will Mookie Betts or Sean Coyle become a major trade chip this winter or during the season to try and add first base depth that is seemingly non-existent in the system? Um, I know I have things that I could say on that, but does anybody want to jump on that first? Uh, uh, oh, sorry, Matt. Matt, I heard Matt first. I can tell. The... <laughs> sure, I'll jump in. We need a buzzer I, system. Yeah. yeah, right. I guess um, I would say yes and no, sort of like mm-hmm. in the fact that. Betts or Coyle could become a trade chip. I don't know about a major trade chip. Maybe for Betts, Coyle could bounce back. I, I don't know if he could bounce back to to that level to be a major trade chip, but whatever that means necessarily. But right. um, but I you know I don't see 
we've talked about this plenty of times, but the first base depth thing is is not really something I think we all agree is is an issue. Usually, uh, it's it's usually not a good thing if a player starts his career at first base. I mean, they really have to, you know, be an all hit prospect at that point. So you know, people can move to first, and I think uh, there's ways to find first basemen on one year deals and stuff at the major league. Yeah. So that's just not something that I'm worried about. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Kevin Euclidus was never first base depth. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. First base is probably the easiest position to fill defensively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the oh. minors and in the majors. Right, right. And, I mean, you saw that last year where they got Nava some innings there. They got Hassan some in the minors. Um, they've done that in the past with guys like they, they're the ones who first moved Brandon Moss uh, to first base a little bit while he was still primarily an outfielder. Um, you know, they keep an eye towards it. Um, Shaw had a good Arizona Fall League, so who knows. Um, I tend to agree that, well, I'll I'll throw this in and then Ian, you can add anything if you want. Um, I agree. First of all, Betts has way more trade value than Coyle right now and likely going forward, unless Coyle's able to cut down significantly on his strikeouts. Um, and plus Betts, uh, has the potential to move around. We've heard that he might play Well, he, he could see some time at short, Almost, I mean, Alex Spear mentioned almost based on necessity because the Portland roster will probably feature him, Coyle, and Devin Marrero. So between the three of them, there's probably going to be some kind of rotation between shortstop, second base, and DH. Um, and Mets, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Betts get a little time in the outfield too. To be I was about to say the same thing. He's yeah. the, he has an athleticism to play center I, field. I I would love to see him be like a Zobrist. Oh, that's, hybrid that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, second base center fielder. Yeah. Um, I would love that. Um, although, it, ideally, center field will also be taken up uh, by Jackie Bradley for the foreseeable future. Um, Never so, hurts to have backup center fielders. Never hurts. This as is we true. can see this, with this roster this right true. now. This is true. See, e.g., Jacoby Elber, Ellsbury's time in Boston. Um, and, the, I mean, if you look at the depth chart, kind of, or the projected rosters, there's very little center field depth going down to Margo, you know, after well, above him, it's it's pretty thin. Yeah. I mean, Pawtucket, the, the the Red Sox will before the season starts sign a center fielder for Pawtucket. Um, right. I know they, they just signed Justin, Justin Henry. Henry but, yeah, yeah right. and you pointed out on Twitter that he might be part of the solution but, there. But, well, part of with him though, he, part of a lot of his value comes from he can basically play every position yes. except for catcher. Exactly. Right? And if you yeah. have him as the full time center field, that really limits your options, especially with right looking at their bench right now. They have Manesis who can play second, short, and third. And, and Lenares both corner outfielders now. Apparently, Lenares is just a corner outfielder, so I mean, they do can, need. He would be the starting center fielder, I think, on opening day. Lenares right now, if they don't sign anyone, which is he's bad. not a very good center fielder. That's bad. I mean, right. he can play it, but he's not a very good center fielder. I'd say Justin Henry at this point, but they don't. Well, maybe Henry, but it, yeah. it would be I mean, one of the two. We'll put it that way. They're going to want to sign someone else. Just a question of, I mean, who, and who else is out there? And uh, I would have loved Sam Fold, but didn't he sign with someone? No, I think he's still a free agent. I think he's still a free agent. Sam there, Fold, yeah. I would love to get as center field depth. Is he? A, I thought he played mostly corner, though. Yeah, yeah but that's because good. they've had BJ Upton and then Desmond Jennings. Um, yeah, he's got the defensive chops to play center. Plus, he's from yeah, that'd be a good New one there. He's from New Hampshire, tax-free Salem, New Hampshire. Tax-free no, New Hampshire? tax-free Durham, New Hampshire. Yeah, whatever. Go go Wildcats. Um, <laughs> didn't he go to an Ivy League school too? Or did I make that up? You made that up. Uh, I thought he was really smart for some reason. I don't know. I seem to remember Tampa? something like that with him, but I can't remember what it was. I'm about to look. 
He uh, went the to... Ta- the Tampa Ivy League guy was Fernando Perez. Who went uh, he went idea. to Stanford. Oh, close enough. Yeah, so he was smart. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, thanks for the question, Sean. Um, moving along. Uh, oh. Yes. Uh, no, I was just going to say that with Coyle that um, you oh, yeah. definitely don't trade him right now because his value is negligible. Yeah. I mean, he's a throw-in at this point. Yeah, um, you know, you season, see yeah. someone I could. They're going to give him a chance to reestablish his value, and it, it's not like it's a bad problem to have. Like as you nope. were saying, rotating those three through those three guys through is very doable. You know, you give Marrero five starts at shortstop, bets one or two, mm-hmm. and then you know just the other one DHs. Coil will get you know four or five games at second or four games at second. Same with bats. Like it'll, it can work itself out. Yeah. And I would just say, I mean, it happens all the time in, in minors. You look at the depth chart and you see there's too many guys at one position or whatever. And it just, you know, it, it usually tends to work itself out. Well, last year in Portland, they had uh, Chikini at third, Michael Almanzar and Travis Shaw between the corners. Um, and that actually wound up with Almanzar getting a lot of time at DH, but then it eventually, as, as Chikini kind of slowed down a little bit, Almanzar got some more time at third base and Chikini DH'd a little more. Um, so they work, these things work themselves out. Um, but yeah, thanks for the question, Sean. We appreciate it. Um, moving on the next question, which, um, is basically me getting called to the carpet. Um, we got an email from, uh, Joseph Kaiser who, um, emailed and said, uh, the following to help fill the vacuum following such a thrilling season. I went back and have been systematically catching up with your spring and summer podcasts, uh, I really enjoy them. Good. Uh, it's interesting to hear early prognostications as they did or did not bear out as the season progressed. It's not really a knock, as many of us probably felt the same thing at the time. But I have to remind you that in episode 35, which we checked in was on like May 27th, to provide some reference. Um, episode 35, I believe, you questioned at that time, early yet in the season, the value of Johnny Gomes and he typed Steve Kemp. So if you're going to call me to the carpet, I'm going to call you to the carpet. Um, come on, man. Uh, but he meant Mike Carp, um, implying that even the Sox should DFA one of them so as to keep JBJ around. Glad now you weren't making the decisions. Smiley face. Um, I agree with you that we need to be patient with young developing players. Um, and then he, he goes on basically saying, um, you know, you get, we also need not to give up too quickly on veteran players, just like we say, rookie players. Um and he mentioned that Charrington and Farrell's judgments or guesses were mostly on the money, it seemed, this year. I'd say that's probably fair. Uh, love the podcast. I'm not completely caught up, although by now he probably is. Hope you passed that bar exam. I did. Um, but hope that despite your new career, you can continue with Sox prospects. You're great. Um, thank you, Joseph, for the email. Um, I'll own up. I do remember saying something to that effect. Uh, Gomes and Carp were both hitting below the Mendoza line. I think at the time I said that. Um, but just to be clear, I don't think I was saying we should DFA them to keep Bradley on the major league roster. At that point, Bradley was back in the minors and, um, hitting very well in the minors. And I think it was probably, I, I definitely was wondering whether they should DFA those guys, but I might've been like, maybe I might've said something effective. Maybe they call Bradley up, um, because he might be more valuable at this point. Um, because he had started hitting again in the minors and I was dead wrong. So we are not perfect. I, just, I, I want to make clear that we weren't too supportive of uh, keeping JBJ, or you know, at least the, the decision to break camp with them. I think we were right. all sort of we were all pretty that. down on that decision when it happened, and sure enough, he didn't hit, which we kind of called. Um, so, yeah, we kind of saw that one, that part of it coming. Um, 
you know, he wasn't necessarily ready at that point. I, th- I forget if they were dealing with injuries at that point, too. Um, and my, my point might have been that he, he at least can be a defense. I think Victorino might have been a little dinged up. Yeah. And I think my point might have been, you know, let Victorino get some rest. You've got Bradley who can fill in at least defensively. Because um, that might have been when they were starting the Ellsbury. Or it might have been like the Victorino, Nava, Gomes outfield. Um, or something to that effect. The mm. light that like I remember they started that a few times and just thinking like holy crap this outfield is terrible defensively. Um, we probably should have just gone back and listened to it. <laughs> right, probably. <laughs> but at any rate, um, the reason I wanted to read this email that caused me to the carpet fairly, um, we wanted to put a call out to any of you listeners if you have um, our hot takes or prognostications or predictions from the past year that were either particularly good or particularly bad, send them in. Um, I would love to make that a regular part of the podcast. Um, we'll call it getting called to the carpet or something. Um, whether it's me or Matt or Ian or all of us or John Mioli, particularly if it's John Mioli, if it, and it was bad, because um, we don't like him. <laughs> um, yeah, to send it in, and I'd love to kind of add that as a part of the podcast. Um, so anyone who who is catching up or remembers particular things we said, uh, we'd love to have you send those in. So thanks for the email, Joseph. Um, who didn't actually sign his email, but I have ways of finding these things out. So, um, yeah. Anywho, uh, thanks for the email. Next email, unless anyone has anything to add. No, good. Um, this next email is from Mark. And uh, Mark says, Hi, Chris. Tremendous podcast with Alex Spear. It was really enjoyable. Um, it was enjoyable for us, too. Uh, on the next podcast, can you talk a little about Forrest all day? Well, he has one of the greatest names of all time. I really haven't heard much about him. I know he's a guy who gets on base a ton while not hitting for power. Does he have any other plus traits such as speed, defense, that could one day get him to the majors? Thanks for your time. I look forward to the next few podcasts. Um, thanks for the email, Mark. Uh, I will throw this one directly to Ian Kundal, who saw Forrest all day in Lowell this year. Ian, take it away. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as you said, his, his best uh, traits play discipline. He I think there was I saw I sat on Lowell for about a, a series or two series six game stretch, and uh, our joke joke among the scouts was when's all day going to swing at the first pitch because I don't think he, he didn't you just you know it's always take take take, um, but even while doing that um, his contact it's a lot of a lot of ground balls he doesn't as you said not much power he is a plus runner um, down the line his times using stopwatch are plus times. Um, and he knows how to run the bases too. So he does a good job, uh, you know, making pitchers work when he gets on base defensively, he he can play center field. He's not a great defender, but he's not a horrible defender. Um, probably about a average to slightly above. Um, and then his arm is all, his arm was weird. Some games it scouted well below average. Then a couple games all out of nowhere, he would just throw a cannon to home plate. That's an easy plus throw. So that's, I, I don't really have a good feel of that. I'd probably give it about about average right now. So, I mean, he's got a shot. He's a, he's an interesting guy for the amount of money they gave him. He's a pretty solid player for that. He's someone who I could see sticking around in the system for a while as, you know, a, a semi-starter, you know, third slash fourth outfielder. And if he puts it together, maybe we're looking at, you know, a 20, 24th, 25th guy on the roster bench outfielder. But, there's I mean, it's not a lot of projection, but it's not for what they paid him and where they got him um, – with what he was supposed to be with just being a senior sign. He's a pretty good, pretty good young player. Yeah. Just to fill in some of that background that you were kind of referencing uh, all day was picked this year in the uh, eighth round of the draft out of central Arkansas. 
Um, he's a he's a center fielder. He played a little bit of right field too and left field in deference to Manuel Margot. Um, his signing bonus was ten grand, so that's the point part that Ian was referencing that they don't really have a lot of money tied up in him. But uh, his numbers at Central Arkansas were pretty good. He was uh, um, their leadoff man, and um, at least I think he was, if I remember right. And I remember they made it to the NCAA tournament, and I want to say that as the four seed in their region, which might have been with like USC or someone, I'll look it up real quick. Um, they almost knocked them off to move on to the regionals. Um, someone else vamp while I look this up, but, uh, well, I actually, I was going to say, um, he was, he was sort of one of the, I don't, I don't know if he was, I think he was a junior, right? I don't think he was a senior sign. Oh, right. He was, that's true. But, uh, but, um, he was sort of one of those under slot, um, second half of the first 10 round guys to, to get some extra money for after those 10 rounds. And I think the sort of the point I wanted to make was that those guys seem to turn out a little better than the first year. They they seem to get guys that actually have, you know, just a little a little more potential um, within those uh, sort of underslot signings. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's uh, you know it, it seems like that strategy is a lot better if you if you get uh, some sort of maybe lottery ticket with those those underslot signings. Yeah, um, all day he let's see he he was the Southland Conference. Uh, baseball student athlete of the year. Um, it was named the tournament South Southland Conference tournament most valuable player. Um, and oh, Mississippi State. That's right. Um, Central Arkansas uh, made it to the championship game of the Starkville Regional before falling to Mississippi State as the four seed, which is a big deal. Uh, they uh, looking at their schedule. They uh, let's see. They they opened with Mississippi State. And let me get down there. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, that's the 2014 schedule. Well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> vamp, vamp. <laughs> it's got a sweet name. He does have a sweet name. Um, that's all I got. I thought it was an 80 name, but I've got a friend who's now a scout that said he would put more of a 70 on it. Yeah, so they um, actually they beat Mississippi State once in that regional Um and then beat South Alabama. That regional was Mississippi State, um, Mercer University, and the University of South Alabama. And they were able to get to the championship game against Mississippi State, but couldn't uh, knock them off again. So, But all the scores were close, which for a team like that is a, is a big deal. So that's Forrest all day for you. Um, anyway, we got to kind of hustle. Thanks for the email, Mark. Um, two more emails. First, uh, Aaron says, gentlemen, greetings from Washington, D.C., your nation's capital, long time, first time, yada, yada. Thanks for all you do. Question. We often talk about a player needing to transition off his position in order to make it to the majors, but I've never heard a good, heard a good explanation for what factors impact where a guy moves. Specifically, I'm curious about guys who play second and short. What factors impact whether a guy who plays shortstop moves to third, like Xander Bogarts potentially, versus second, as Pedroia did? What about a third baseman moving to either outfield or first base like Giacchini might? Um, Are there certain positions that simply don't transfer well, like catcher to shortstop or left field to second base? I'd love your thoughts on this. Thanks much, Aaron. Um, Ian, since you might have to go soon, let's start with you again. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I'll go sequentially and start off with the first. Um, in terms of moving off shortstop, the biggest thing is arm strength. Um, obviously, if you have a, the stronger stronger arm, you're likely to go to third base versus second because you can make that long throw across the diamond. The other big thing to look at um, moving off shorts is athleticism. 
if you're a third base doesn't require as much athleticism as second base because you're not playing up the middle. You don't have to worry about the double play turns or anything like that. So that's um, another thing you're going to look at. And then the last thing, a lot of it, looking at body type too, when you've got, you know, if you if you're a little taller shortstop, you know, look like you might add some muscle, you're more likely to go at third. Whereas if you're, you know, one of the a smaller type player, you're more likely to end up second. I mean, right or wrong, it might be heightest, but it's kind of true. So heightest. yeah, th- with that one. Is that okay. that's a word, right? Yeah, well, it is now. Okay. Um. Well. Anyway, and then for the third baseman, the biggest thing it has to do it's third. It's a little. T- it's a little less, more abstract. Um, arm strength is kind of a factor, but not as athleticism much. Athleticism too. The big thing is athleticism, and it's yeah. it, you can kind of you see it and you, you know it's one of those things like you can watch a guy and if you see enough of him, you're like that guy's the third baseman. You can tell if they're going to stay there. And then there's other guys where you look at it. I think Michael Almanzar is a pretty good example of that where you watch it and it's just the motions are kind of robotic. He's very stiff in the back. He just doesn't, it just doesn't look natural over there. And he's, that's the kind of example of something where you're going to move him off the, another good example. Yeah. It's just, it did move to left field this past year. Just doesn't look very athletic. Stiff, what, mo- stiff actions, stuff like that. What did you say about uh, Cicchini? I mean, what, what, well, how does he uh, fit into that for you? His, he's, his, it still looks like the knee thing is right or wrong is bothering. He doesn't have much lateral, lateral range. Um, he's a little stiff in his back, which is the biggest thing. And he's very straight up and his footwork isn't very good. Kind of has a tendency to kind of get lazy with his footwork on throws. Um, but I mean, he's someone that, there's a chance. It's not like he's definitely going to have to move off third base, but even if he stays there, he's not a. He doesn't look like a natural defender over there. He's he'd be more of you know a average at best kind of guy compared to someone like, for example, Will Middlebrooks, who's an above average defender at third base. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't. I don't know about the outfield, but he seems too athletic to me for first. Um, it doesn't really seem like a natural this is profile. Cicchini. Yeah, Chikini. So I'm just wondering if. You know, kind of, I feel like maybe his future probably is at third, but just maybe he's not, you know, maybe at best, maybe an average defender over there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it probably will depend on team need, but he's someone that it's just, it's also part of it too with Cicchini that plays into it is the profile, where at third base is kind of considered a power position in the modern game. You want someone over there who's going to hit you, you know, 20, 25 home runs and yeah, but first and left aren't any better. And that- yeah, but his profile, you, you see left fielders who don't have a lot of power who are high on base guys. No, I'm like, not, yeah. So, I, yeah, it's just it's kind of a profile fit, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, and as far as positions that don't transfer well, the thing that I'll add is there's a thing called the defensive spectrum. Um, you guys can Google it out there if you want. And it's basically a spectrum along which you put the positions um, – and it's easy. You could there. You move one way on the defensive spectrum. So all the way to the left, you have shortstop, um, the up the middle positions, center field, sec, uh, second base, um, and then as you go to the right, um, I forget whether third base or right field comes next, but they're kind of similar-ish, right? And then you have left field, and then you have first base. So uh, as you move along that spectrum, that's the direction guys tend to move in. So you're not going to have you know, a a right fielder who moves to shortstop, for example, because that's the wrong direction on the defensive spectrum. Um, catchers just don't really fit in there because it's such a unique position. 
Um, typically, catchers, I would say, tend to move to the corners in the infield. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like Carlos Delgado was a catcher coming up through the minors. Um, the the exception would be guys that are, you know, like, for example, Craig Biggio um, moved to second, which I think was probably pretty much unprecedented and would never happen again. Um, Swihart, maybe. Yeah, well, Swihart, I mean, I don't think yeah. He's move off at this catcher. point, but yeah, yeah he's no, he's a catcher. Um, but sometimes that was mentioned with him second or third if he was to move off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by, by the way, speaking of Swihart real quick, I saw a report today that he has questions about whether he'll stick a catcher. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. Um, I'm not, I, I wasn't buying that particular write up of Blake Swihart. Um, the writer was particularly down on him and I was, I, I just wondered how many people he talked to that had actually seen him play this year. Um, the Red Sox don't, maybe he wasn't actually the best defensive player in the system, but defensive player of the year isn't a like, you know, make you feel more confident award, you know, everyone else that they've given it to is actually a legit defensive player. So, um, you know, him getting defensive player of the year signals that the team thinks he's going to stick. Uh, I mean, the like reports on him were great this year. Yeah. Defensively. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm more inclined to listen to like, you know, Ian and, you know, guys who've seen him like Jason Parks, you know, Parks sat on, sat in on him and, you know, he basically all but admitted that he was biased because he has Texas roots, but whatever. Um, to find out more, listen to the last podcast. Yeah. Get hey, some good stuff know, on there. Number 50. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for the question, Aaron. That was a really good question. Um, Ian, can you stick around for one more? If we do it quick? Yeah. All Sorry, right. I muted it. No, that's fine. Um, our next question comes to us from Alex Mack, um, which is awesome. Uh, people of a certain age also will think that that's awesome. Um, I right know over Ian. my head. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> I don't even know if the, I, I mean. I'm wondering if that's the real na- his real name or her. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to think it might be a joke, but because um, the email address the secret is com- comedic, is comedic. Yeah, so yeah. Well, but anyway, I don't uh, the joke. Alex. Yeah, just look, Google the show. secret. The secret of Alex Mack. The which, secret uh, life of Alex Mack. No, it was the secret of Alex Mack, dude. I'm positive. No, it's light? the secret world of Alex Mack. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're both wrong. Damn, Damn it. <laughs> Also, Google. Alex, Alex Mack, not the emailer, but the, the, the TV person, um, hot or not, Matt? Uh, I remember hot. I remember but... her being hot. Yeah. She was, she used to wear that beanie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, well, I was four work, when so... it came out, so that would make sense why I didn't know. God, I hate you. Um, <laughs> anyway, Alex Mack says, hi guys. I really look forward to the podcasts and your insight into the system. How do you guys feel the group of Owens, Barnes, Webster, Renato, Ball, Workman compared to the group of pitchers the Sox had in the minors in that 2005 to 2008 window of Lester, Papelbon, Sanchez, Buckholtz, Bard, and Masterson? There is always talk about how all prospects won't turn out, but it seems in the earlier group they all did. Four good starting pitchers, a dominant closer, and a guy who was a dominant setup man for a while. I know Michael Bowden and Craig Hansen were also rated highly at that time, and ended up doing nothing in the majors, but six of eight is still an incredible ratio. Um, but do you guys think there's a chance the current group of prospects could reach the level of that earlier group? Thanks. Um, I'll at least give my initial reaction. Um, no. <laughs> to expect yeah, no. them to do that is entirely unreasonable. And um, Bowden and Hanson were both major leaguers too, so we can't really. That's true. Well, but yes, at the they same time, good, but they yeah. still made the majors, which is impressive. At the same time, you can't just remove them from the question, which is what I was going to say next. Um, and plus, the thing is, too, is a three-year window is a long time. Yeah. Um, 
you're you're basically grouping together a group of guys who weren't in the system at the same time. I mean, Papelbon had graduated before Buckholtz even entered the well, not before he'd even entered the system, but before he became, you know, Clay Buckholtz. Um, you know, when when Papelbon um, graduated, Buckholtz was moving into the top ten and the top five in the system. Um, but at the it's, same time, some pitchers who were also top ten during that time were Manny Del Carmen, um, David Pauly. Chris Johnson, Bryce Cox, um, Nick Hagedon, uh, who else? Let's see here. Mike Rozier? Uh, no, Mike Rozier was before that. Uh, I just <laughs> uh, wanted to say his name. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, let's Caleb, see. Cl- Caleb Clay? Uh, he was never top 10. Uh, he, um, more he was never really top 10. Well, no, he was in that window, but I think he was just never top 10. He's got a to top 10 mustache, though. That he did. That he did. Um, and actually, Casey Kelly was at the tail end of that era but you know michael bowden was up there too um i well, think it's, it's kind of similar with ball too he doesn't really fit in that class right ball mind. isn't in that class um you know you could actually say the top guys in terms of guys who are all in the system at the same time in the kind of owens barnes webster renato workman and i would throw in ruby de la rosa and drake Britton as well that's a pretty, pretty crowded class of guys who are all major league pitchers i think we'll say that i don't think you know, maybe one of them might go Michael Bowden uh, or Craig Hansen on you, but I don't see it happening. Uh, maybe it could happen. I, I I actually talked to Britton about uh, like the camaraderie with that that those pitching prospects. So uh, that's that's we'll, a little we'll teaser for the for the audio in a minute. In a minute yeah. yeah. Um, but you know that said, I I don't I think expecting an outcome of a group that's like you know Anibal Sanchez is a, is a two is a or two three. No, he's, he's a, a three, two. He's, he's a, a two. two. Yeah. He led Lester's, the league in ERA last year. And Lester's although ERA has its problems, but Lester's a two. Um, you Buckle know, Papelbon. But the thing is, if you look at it, like Papelbon, Papelbon became Papelbon because he learned a splitter in AAA. Like, he also didn't really reach his ceiling, technically. No. You know, if Papelbon would be if Anthony Renato, maybe not Renato, no, maybe uh, Henry Owens became a closer. Um, I was going to say Webster. Maybe Webster. Yeah, we'll go Webster. Webster becomes a closer with a fastball and a pitch he doesn't know yet. Um, It'd be like a show-me-curveball became all of a sudden incredible. Right. Like Papelbon Papelbon became Papelbon based on an arsenal he didn't have in the minors. You could kind of say that about Buckholtz as well. Um, Buckholtz is a much different pitcher than he even was in AAA. His first run through AAA, I saw all of his home starts. Uh, because I had season tickets for the Paw Sox that year. And, you know, he was a guy that would go out and blow guys away with his curveball or change up on a given night. He would just pick one and just pepper guys with it. And he can't do that in the majors because major league hitters are that much better. Um, you know, Masterson is a, I think he's a four or a five. Um, yeah, he had, he's a back he, end. He had, he had a couple of two or three. He had like basically one year where he was essentially a two, but. You know, this year he kind of came back down to earth a bit, and I love Masterson. I think he's a great pitcher to have well, on a major league staff. But he's... his problem is lefties just crush him. Yeah, lefties because they get him. such a good look at the ball. Yeah, and he had that one year where he kind of figured it out with the changeup, but this year he kind of regressed back a little bit, um, which is to be expected. And then you know we all know what happened to Bard, um, and I'm still not convinced it was the move to starting that did it that kind of ruined him. Um, it maybe exacerbated things, but. Um, he was starting to fall apart in September 2011. 
Uh, well, so one one thing I'll say about the the list of players you said that are in the system now, if they turn out how the list of guys you said below the bet were mentioned, the Lester Pavlon, if that group turns into that group, the Red Sox would be ecstatic. Oh, they'd be thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. Like thrilled. if you, oh, yeah. you can get four major league starters and two bullpen guys out of that group, like that's. Yeah. yeah, so you figure, I, like, Owens becomes a two, Webster becomes a two, Barnes becomes a three, Renato's a five, you know, Workman and De La Rosa and, and Britton are all bullpen arms, say, just for example, not necessarily saying that's what we, I'm predicting or anything, that would be outstanding. That would be, that's probably, like, best reasonable scenario, right? Yeah. Best scenario that you could possibly hope for. Uh, anything more than that Heck, is if, kind of a if, pipe if, dream. If, if Owens, Barnes, and Webster turn into mid rotation starters and everyone else ends up in the bullpen they'd be happy right they'd be thrilled they'd be thrilled i mean you'd be you'd basically be looking at like what the cardinals had this year right where their their entire bullpen practically was homegrown no Um, team can have you can never have enough cost controlled young pitching is what it comes down to nope exactly it's exactly it's just so hard to find major league quality pitchers and if you look around the majors right now there are plenty of teams that don't have major league quality pitchers in their staff yeah, and that's why, you know, the Red Sox, they, just really quick on them trading a guy, they're just waiting for the other free agents to sign, the Garzas and Edwin, uh, or not, yeah, Irvin Santana's of the world and Tanaka. Tanaka's got to drop first. He's the biggest. Tanaka shoot. will drop within the next 10 days. The rest of those guys will fall, and then the Red Sox will look into moving a guy. Um, I don't think they'll move one of the prospects yet, though. No, I don't think they move one of the prospects, but I just, I think Dempster. because of the prospects, they can move a Dempster or a PV. Type. I could also I could see it going to spring training too. You just kind of leave well, it. Well, I think it'll be in spring training. Honestly, someone someone will have some team will you know lose Doug Fister well, type or look someone at, like well, that. Well, no, look at recently. Um, who just had surgery? Derek Holland just had surgery on his knee. He's out till midseason for Texas. And Justin Verlander just had surgery on a core muscle. And they're expecting they're hoping he'll be ready for the start of spring training, but or during spring training. But he might not make the opening day start this year. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you really, I mean, look at last year, look at the Dodgers who we're going to talk about in a second here. The Dodgers last year had like eight starting pitchers in spring training and people were making fun of them for not trading away any of them. Well, then they were starting and Chris Capuano mid- half through the year. Well, right. Yeah. Then they had to go get a guy mid season. So, uh, you know, who, who did they trade for mid season? I think, oh, um, Nalasco. Ricky Nalasco. Yeah. They had to go get Nalasco from Miami. So. It's a it's thing, it's a trite saying, but you can never have too much pitching. So, at that rate, uh, I think we'll close out the emails. Thanks everybody for sending those in. We appreciate it. Uh, send us more emails. We need more. Our hunger can never be uh, satisfied for emails. That's podcast at socksprospects.com. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Uh, Ian, can you stick around for the where are they now, or do you have to run? I need to go. Sorry. You need to go. All right. Well, thanks, Ian. We'll we'll hit you on the next podcast. Matt and I yep. bring it on. Thanks, guys. Talk to you yep. later. All right. Well, so for Where Are They Now, this is a segment that we debuted back on episode uh, 48, it would have been, uh, where we, we look back at some prospects who um, are dearly departed from the system. Uh, this is something that you guys apparently loved hearing about because one of our top 10 uh, stories that ran on the news page this year was Mike Andrews' recap of uh, where are they now basically on everybody more or less who's been traded or released from the system since like oh four or something it went back to like mike goss yeah it was comprehensive the guys guys who were in like the kurt schilling trade 
Um, it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, check that out. If you look at the on January first, we published a uh, top ten uh, stories from the year based on your hits, and that uh, story was linked there. But last time out, we did the Adrian Gonzalez trade. So this time, we uh, saw fit to do it kind of a similar deal that happened. This was at the trade deadline in 2011. The Red Sox needed starting pitching. Um, nice transition from what we were just talking about. And the Red Sox uh, made a three-way deal with the Seattle Mariners and Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, and this was a trade that was partially born out of the fact that the Red Sox had an actual logjam of guys who were going to be Rule 5 eligible that offseason. And they just didn't have room for all of them on the 40-man roster. So that kind of uh, led to this deal where the Red Sox acquired Eric Bedard uh, the starting pitcher and re- minor league reliever Josh Fields from Seattle. Uh, they sent uh, Chi Sing Chang and oh, actually they acquired. Um, okay, sorry. The Red Sox sent Tim Fedorovich, catcher Tim Fedorovich, uh, right-handed starter Stephen Fife, and right-handed starter Juan Rodriguez to the Dodgers. They received Trey, uh, pro- outfield prospect Trayvon Robinson. He's an outfielder, right? I think he's an outfielder. Yeah. Um, they sent yeah. Robin, Trayvon Robinson and their own outfield prospect, Chi Sin Chang, to Seattle in exchange for Bedard and Fields. Um, it's a three-way deal that, honestly, it seems at this point, I think L.A. might have won the deal, to be honest. Um, the Red Sox still missed the playoffs that year, as everybody remembers. Uh, Bedard was gone after that season. Uh, Josh Fields pitched one more season. In the, well, we'll get to – actually, we should probably add Fields to the list of guys. Um, Mm -hmm. I can take fields if you can cover the guy that, um, Ian was going to take Matt, but, um, but in the meantime, uh, let's start actually with the guys that went to the Dodgers. Um, if you want, if you want to pull up, uh, are you, if you want to talk about Tim Fedorovich, the catcher, and then, um, I'll talk about, well, how about this? You take fields and Chang. I'll take all the Dodgers guys. Okay. Sure. I'll start with Chang then. Uh, cause I mean, okay. at the time, Chisin Chang went to Seattle. Yeah, Chang ended up going to Seattle, and sort of at the time, I would say, I mean, Pop he wasn't up. probably the top prospect in the well, deal, but he, he was, was. He was that was, year's Mookie Betts, right? I was gonna say he was well, not quite as not as young yeah. and stuff, but well, yeah, but he was the guy um, that came out of nowhere to just mash, right? And uh, and I was gonna say he was probably the one that people on our forum were most unhappy to see to see go at the time, particularly Could, we mentioned Ian Theodoridis. Yeah, he was the right. He was pretty fired I was, up. I remember. Yeah, he was definitely fired up, as I recall. And I mean, you know, for for good reason to some extent. He was. I mean, he was batting three forty with a four hundred two OBP and a six forty eight slugging in in Portland uh, as a twenty two year old. So you know that those are great numbers. Um, but it kind of came out of nowhere. He he was a good hitter in the past. He had just been moved from second base, either it might have been the season before, out to the outfield. And right field, he had a pretty strong arm, and was yeah. I think it was the season before. Yeah, he was. He's an okay defender, but um, we heard we had heard that, um, or he had talked about how he his I believe he he's diabetes. diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah, and yeah. so he had gotten that under control. So there was some reason to think that the <laughs> that improvement. Was the narrative. Yeah, the narrative exactly that the improvement was for real. So it was it was a, a somewhat of a loss, but on the other hand, I remember distinctively. Chris Mellon in particular saying again and again that it that it was not for real and that he was just basically crushing mistake pitches 
um, at, you know, in his second year at Double A. Um, so at age twenty three, though, so it wasn't like he was super old for the level, right? Um, exactly, because he had been but, young. Yeah, but um, it, it basically ended up that um, that Chris was correct on that, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and he really basically did nothing after leaving the Red Sox organization. Uh, I mean, even he, he that bet, season, <laughs> he, they started him in Triple A the next year. Um, and he bet 245, 265 OBP. And, uh, you know, last year he, he latched on with Texas and just played double A and didn't even come close to, to, uh, replicating the same numbers that, that he did in Portland in, in 2011. So it really, the ultimate story of, of the Red Sox selling high on, on a player there. So, so that one, that one worked out. The thing that gets me with Chang is his 2011 numbers with with Portland in in 88 games over 321 at bats. So it's not you know at that point you're sort of out of small sample, right? Right. He hit 340, 402. What's that? I, I was gonna say I remember it. Keep thinking he was gonna come back down to earth. Yeah, and he just wasn't. And it yeah. was 340, 402, 648 for one a, a 1050 OPS. That doesn't happen in the minors. With guys that just had never done anything before. I mean, his best OPS before that was in Lancaster, which was in the California League and just inflated everyone's stats. And even there, he hit 303 with a 337 on base and a 459 slugging for a 797 OPS that for Lancaster wasn't that impressive um, based on what some other guys were doing there. It's it's Uh, really weird. One one year out of nowhere, and it's not like... well, but like, then even after he got traded to to Seattle, he went to Double A Jackson in the Southern League, and he hit two hundred eight, two fifty five, two sixty two the rest of the season. I know, like, it's and like he immediately fell off a cliff. Like, <sighs> I, I expected him to come back down to earth, but at least Holy be like a crap. decent Triple A player or something, you know? Like, yeah, to not even be able to replicate it to any extent in Double A is is. Yeah. And like you Apple. said, the next year they pushed him to AAA in the Pacific Coast League, no less, which is a hitter's league. And he had to get demoted midseason back to Jackson. Um, and even he, he didn't have an OBP above 300. Um, I, I want to say he was released midseason this year by Texas. Um, I can look that up real quick. But, man, that's just one of the all-time head scratchers for me. Uh, even if what he was doing was a mirage. In double A, um, right. I just wow to fall off a cliff that quick. Um, really baffling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember he would always play. He he played for Taiwan in the WBC. Um, in in two thousand and eight, um, along with Chisin, uh, uh, Chase Swan Lin. Um, I just yeah, that he was just a weird one, man. Um. Yeah, as of and this offseason, he uh, signed as a minor league free agent uh, with uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Um, was that or was that Lynn? No, it was Chang. I'm looking at it. Both right of now. the okay, okay. Um, I'm not sure. No, Lynn signed with Houston. Okay, okay, yeah. Because yeah. I remember someone was saying we should trade them an outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they went and signed Lynn. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, oh, here it is. Yeah, so in midseason, he got uh, outrighted. Oh, no, he got outrighted in 2012. That's right. He was on the 40-man. But, yeah, so Chang was one of the guys on the 40-man 
that got traded. The other two guys were two of the guys that went to L.A. and uh, Stephen Fife and Tim Fedorovich, um, which I, I used to love talking about Fedorovich because Chris Mellon can't say his last name. Um, it's always Fedor- Fedorovich or something. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I love Chris. But um, physically. But uh, So Ch- Fedorovich was traded in 2011 and made his Major League debut with L.A. that year. Um, he was a draft pick out of the University of North Carolina in uh, uh, the 19... Oh, sorry, the 2008 draft. He was the seventh-round pick. He was picked the round after Ryan LaVarnway. And the joke was always, if you could, if you could combine Tim, Tim Fedorovich's glove with Ryan LaVarnway's bat, you'd have the perfect catcher. Um, yeah. He you know, was never really bad with the bat in the minor leagues or anything. Uh, he, he had a couple of years where he hit That's the ball power. pretty well. He had a little bit of pop. Um, part of that might have been because as a college guy, you know, he went to Greenville in 2009 as a 21-year-old. Um, you know, he hit 345, 393, 562. But part of that was as he was kind of an advanced guy, having played in the ACC, um, you know, in North Carolina. I think he was actually a two-way player. He had a very strong arm. I, I You know, looking back, I think he was basically – a college Christian Vasquez. Does that sound like yeah. a very yeah, broad fair. comparison? Um, I think they have different, I don't know, like uh, different body type in my mind. Different I, body type. I mean, Tim Fedorovich yeah. is, you know, your typical kind of, well, eh, to Vasquez? Well, I just think Vasquez is a little shorter and thicker. Um, eh, Fedorovich was, pre- he was 5'11", 200 uh, on our profile of him. Um, let's see, he's 5'10", 215 now, apparently. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not quite as pear shaped yeah. um, as Vasquez might be. But at any rate, you know, he never really hit poorly coming up. I mean, he had that one, you know, half season in Greenville where he tore the cover off the ball. But, uh, you know, 2011 was his first year with Portland. Again, he was 23. He was going to have to get added to the 40 man in that off season. Um, was hitting 277, 338, 407 in Portland. And he basically did the inverse Chang. Uh, he got traded to the Dodgers. The Dodgers sent him directly to AAA in the Pacific Coast League. And he went to the Pacific Coast League, and in, in 25 games, he hit 325, 431, 627, and uh, made it up to LA. Since then, he's basically been the Dodgers' taxi squad catcher. Um, the past two years, he has split between Albuquerque and L.A., and he's also been uh, a little dinged up. He um, In 2012, he got three games with the Dodgers, but he uh, spent most of the year in AAA Albuquerque. Uh, again, he hit pretty good at an 832 OPS, but again, his game is with the, with the glove. And this year, he saw some significant time, actually, with the Dodgers. He played in 56 games. He uh, hit 231, uh, 275, 356. Uh, so not a great OPS, but a good defensive catcher, you know, got 160 at-bats. He His profile, and we even said it at the time, was probably as a backup catcher. Um, yeah, I would, say a, I would say a great defensive catcher. Like, I mean, uh, I think you're underselling him be- just a little bit. You think I'm underselling him? Well, you said a good defensive catcher. I was just thinking, okay, I mean, he's... Sorry. he's, he's, he's yeah, I mean, he's that's above average strength. defensively. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's quite Christian Vasquez, though. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking. I'm not sure exactly. He doesn't quite go to the Vasquez it. level of you know his arm is a weapon. Although, yeah, the the probably people who remember Fedorovich, if you're trying to wonder where you know the name from, it might be from Peter Gammons suggesting in was it 2009 or two, oh no in 2010 when he was with Salem, 
He spent yeah. the whole year with Salem, and he had suggested that the Red Sox might call him up for the playoff run. So they were having real the... trouble throwing out runners at the time. Yeah, because that was the Veritech and... Was 2010 Salty? No. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah, I no. think it was. That was the first Salt Lamaki year, wasn't it? I'll look it up. Um... But... Or actually, you can look it up while I talk about it. Just... Right. Yeah, yeah. But the 2010 Red Sox stand they were having a really hard time throwing out runners, and he su- Gammon suggested that they could bring up Fedorovich from A-ball to be the defensive specialist late in games to keep teams from running on the Red Sox because he had a great arm, um, which was crazy. But um, at any rate, that was Fedorovich. You know, he's carved out himself a niche where he's probably going to have a few years where he's a serviceable major league backup. Oh. Victor yeah. Martinez. Oh, it was Vic Martinez. That's yeah. right. Yeah, That's that makes right. sense. Which the point was, you're not going to take Vic Martinez out of the lineup to have a better defensive catcher. Um, yeah. Because then you lose his bat. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. Because did Veritek ever play with Salty? I don't remember. Yeah, anyway. yeah they did. Yeah. So they that was were, 2011. Veritek's last season, he was sort, they were sort of a platoon. Okay. And he, right. he was like a mentor. Right. But he wasn't. I remember he wasn't that happy with those at bats. He wanted a little more playing time. Nope. Yep. I remember that now. <laughs> um, but yeah. So Fedorovich has carved himself out a nice little niche, as has Stephen Fife, um, the man who I like to refer to as Fife Dog. Uh, he uh, got tr- okay. So Fife was also a guy who had to get added to the forty man in 2011. He was drafted out of the University of Utah uh, in the third round in 2008. Uh, he was a type of guy you know these these college draft picks where he went to lowell in 08 went to greenville in 09 and after midseason went up to salem began 2010 with portland uh was in portland all year had a pretty good year but then went back to portland in 2011 uh with boston uh the numbers with the red sox never really stood out he was always kind of in the back end of the top 20 if i'm remembering right correct me if i'm wrong uh, you know, I, I remember him good. just always having more of a, a reliever projection. That, yeah, that's what I remember most. Yeah, he had kind of a jerky delivery. Um, he was the guy. He 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 wore glasses when he pitched. Still does. Um, you know, had a four seamer with some velocity. Didn't really. His two seam was okay. He worked like eighty nine to eighty eight to ninety one. Uh, you know, had a curveball and a changeup that were okay. Uh, but he just he threw a lot of strikes. Um, in Greenville, I remember in 36 innings, he walked four guys before he got promoted. And then in Salem, he walked 10 guys in 50 innings. So he always had these crazy K to walk ratios cause he didn't walk anybody. Um, that kind of, he kind of lost that in Portland because, you know, double A hitters are better. Uh, at any rate, the season he got traded, he was, you know, much improved on his 2010 in 103 innings before the trade. He uh, was 11 and four with a 366 ERA. So to the casual fan, he was you know, doing much better, but, you know, he had still walked 37 guys in 103 innings to compare to 70 strikeouts. Um, at the time of the trade, he went to double a Charlotte with the Dodgers, uh, had started six more games there again, similar ish numbers. He, uh, went three and O somehow, but, uh, with a four Oh one ERA, but you know, 36 hits and 15 walks in 33 innings, 33 and two thirds innings only struck out 25 guys. Uh, 2012, he went to AAA, spent most of the year there. Um, okay numbers again, 135 innings, 93 strikeouts, 44 walks, 157 hits, you know, uh, 466 ERA, but he did get five spot starts, made his major league debut, and he was pretty good, uh, in 26 innings over five, 26 and two thirds innings over five starts, which, 
for a guy coming up as a rookie, if you're going to give us, you know, if you can do five innings an outing, that's not terrible. Uh, 26 and two thirds innings, 25 hits, 12 walks, 20 Ks, uh, ERA of 270. Didn't get his first major league win until this year, where it was more of a split between Albuquerque and Los Angeles. Like we said, he ran the the Dodgers randomly somehow, despite having all of the starters in the world, needed more starters midseason. He wound up making ten starts and came out of the bullpen twice for the Dodgers this year. In fifty eight innings, you know, sixty nine hits, twenty walks, forty five strikeouts. Uh, you know, three eighty six ERA went four and four. A, a guy who at this point, you know, he's kind of in, on the depth chart ish. Um, I, I honestly wonder what would happen if they gave him a, a chance to relieve um, or if he's really just that guy that's going to be that taxi squad starter for the Dodgers. But, uh, you know, he, he's done pretty well with, with the Dodgers. And again, it was a guy who, with Boston, they may not have been able to protect him. So Red Sox figured they'd get something for Fedorovich and, and Chang and uh, and Fife and kind of relieve a little bit of that 40-man crunch. Uh the other guy that went to LA and the last guy I'll say before Matt tells you a little bit about fields, um, what he's done, what he did after joining the system and what he, he did this past season after leaving, uh, as a rule five pick, uh, was Juan Rodriguez. And Rodriguez was the one, uh, younger guy that the Red Sox traded in that deal. He was the token Dominican fireballer that gets traded seemingly every year. Uh, you know, this year was Frank Montas in past years. It's been, uh, you know, Juan Rodriguez and Ramon Mendez, and uh, I think there's one more guy I can't think Oh, Raul Alcantara. Um, these guys that they've got a fastball, and that's about it. Uh, the Red Sox, uh, he, they signed him. Uh, he's debuted in 2008 with the DSL Club. Uh, he pitched with the DSL Club in 08 uh, and in 09. Spent two years down there. Much improved his second year. He kind of dominated 155 ERA in his second year. Uh, he was a starter. Came to the Gulf Coast League in 2010 and, you know, worked as a starter there. Struck out 51 guys in 48 and two-thirds innings uh, with a pretty dominant fastball. Worked in the upper 90s. Uh, in 2011, went to Greenville and moved to the bullpen uh, where he, in 59 innings, he struck out 88 guys. Uh, but he also walked 32 guys. So it was the the token minor leaguer who no one can hit but has no idea where the fastball is going. Uh, he got traded to the Dodgers that season and went to the Midwest League affiliate where in 17 innings, same old thing. Walked 10 guys but struck out 20. Uh, in 2012, he split it between uh, low A Great Lakes in the Midwest League and he got a cup with high A Rancho Cucamonga in the California League. Uh, you know, again, lots of more, more than a strikeout in inning. Oh, no, sorry. More than a walk-in inning. I was looking at the wrong column. Uh, so in, in Great Lakes, he had 32 strikeouts to 31 walks in uh, in 29 innings. In Rancho Cucamonga and High A, he had 15 strikeouts to 10 walks in nine and a third. Uh, and he hasn't been heard from. This past season, he didn't play. We looked and couldn't find any information on a possible injury. We found one report that he might have just been released. Um no information on him. So again, that's that's part of why the Red Sox are so willing to trade these fireballers. You know, occasionally you might get a guy like a you know Raul Calcantara with the A's, uh, who will probably hit in another. Maybe in the next one we'll get to those guys. But he's actually turned out to be a pretty good pitcher. But for every Raul Alcantara, there's a you know 
Juan Rodriguez that probably isn't going to make it above a ball. Um, who's just kind of a projection righty. Uh, it's, you know, not, you know, for all that the Red Sox gave, maybe the Red Sox didn't get a ton out of Eric Bedard and Josh Fields never pitched for them in the majors who again, Matt, I'll get to him in a minute, but eh, you know, maybe, maybe Fedorovich and Fife are, they're useful depth players, but I don't think they're really necessarily missing them a ton either. Um, or regretting the trade too much, but uh, Matt yeah, Fedorovich is the only one that sort of stands out as uh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and I mean Fife is a serviceable-ish taxi yeah. squad pitcher for a for second division but, team, maybe. And Fedorovich's ceiling really isn't that high. Uh, no, none of them are. So I mean, nope. Yeah. So. Nope. All right. Well, yeah, the last guy is Josh Fields. Sure. Yeah. Um. So he was in the system for a couple years. Um. You know, specifically 2012 after the trade and in, uh, in getting a little time in 2011. And, uh, you know, he put up good, pretty good numbers or real good numbers in 2012 between double A AA and triple A. He was 26 at the time um, and uh, and just got in, uh, let's see, 13, 13 two thirds innings at triple uh, A. And those those were uh, scoreless innings. Uh, and, he, and overall, I mean, he had, you know, 12, 12 strikeouts. For nine or twelve and a half during his time in AAA on that small sample size. So I mean, he he was a guy that they decide not to protect that off season after two thousand twelve in uh, for, on the forty man, um, and uh, and he was selected in the Rule Five draft by Houston, basically as a guy they can stash in the bullpen for a year and uh, try to hang on to. He's not not really a guy with uh, with a huge ceiling, which is why they really didn't pr- protect him. He's got, you know, he can throw throw pretty hard, but it's it's, uh, you know, you get up to maybe ninety six, ninety seven, um, but it's a pretty straight fastball, and uh, he has a, a decent curveball, can be plus at times, but somewhat inconsistent. And uh, Houston ended up keeping him up all year, um, except he for, did go uh, down because of an injury. Yeah, uh, a, a, rehab a rehab stint. Yep. Yep. And you know he, he, I don't know if I'd say he held his own, but he had a, he finished with a four ninety seven ERA. So I mean, it seemed like he made a little progress at the end. Uh, probably the highlight of his season, or I, I would say, definitely was picking up his first professional save against his former team, the Red Sox. Uh, well, was it a save he, or a win? I think it might have been a win. No, it was a save. I'm looking at oh, it right now. Okay, well, um, but our stats page for him is wrong then, because <laughs> we have no saves. He. Um, he blew the save the next night against the Red Sox. So mixed mixed bag there. But um, I I don't know. I mean, he's he's 27, so there's really not much projection left. Um, or actually, he might be. Is he? He's 28 now. So I mean, yeah, it's I, it's you know he seems like he could be a decent back end of the bullpen. I don't think any other team would want him, you know, be closing or even really setting up games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, decent decent arm. Um, Another sort of hard throwing guy with, you know, a, a questionable yeah. secondary pitches. And, uh, you know, I think Houston maybe made a, a decent move there, seeing yeah. as they really didn't. For 50K, um, why not? Yeah, exactly. They didn't have anyone else to, you know, necessary yeah. to, to hey. protect on the roster. So, yeah. So, you not know, they, bad. Uh, the thing with, with Fields was, I remember, that it would always come and go with him. He was mm-hmm. a, a highly touted, he was a, a first round draft pick. Uh, in 2008 yep. by Seattle after the year before he was drafted in the second round and didn't sign. Um, and I want to say he went to, yeah, he went to Georgia and the next year he, he went, he went back to school. The next year was a first rounder and it was thought that he would move quickly. 
and then it just kind of didn't happen. Um, he just kind of sort of never got to the majors until this past season. Uh, and I remember, you know, it, it, in 2012 in the regular season with the Red Sox, it clicked, but it seemed like it was, it could go at any minute. And that winter, I remember he went to the Dominican winter league and we've got his numbers right here on his profile and in six innings. He gave up six hits and seven walks and struck out eight. And he basically, he got released essentially by uh, Chibayanas in, uh, in the Dominican winter league. And I think the thought by some of us might've been, you know, when he wasn't protected, he was basically listed by baseball America and everybody who covers the rule five draft as like, this is the guy that will, he, he was, Almost all but assured to get drafted in the Rule Five draft, um, but I think the Red Sox were kind of hoping that, you know, bad fields would show up when he went to Houston, and he, I guess he didn't, you know. And plus, Houston it's not like they were trying to compete last year, so they had all kinds of room to keep him on the roster and let him work through any problems. But uh, you know, you wonder if he had gone to Chibanus and just shoved, you know. Do the Red Sox maybe think more about protecting him instead of, say, you know, at the time, I remember the, the thought was, why did they protect Alex Hassan and not protect Josh Fields or re-sign Michael Olmstead um, by some of the readers on the board uh, of the site? You know, I know some of us were saying, hey, whatever, it's all fungible, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, Michael Olmstead went and did nothing this past year. But, you know, Fields was interesting. Uh, Might have been nice to see what he could have done in Boston, but honestly, you know, middle reliever. They're a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Not a, not a bad move for Houston, but not a big loss for Red Sox either. Nope, nope. nope. So yeah, that's Josh Fields. Um, and if I could just make one thing clear too that we were saying earlier, I know some people thought that Chang. Uh, when you say that people who were kind of upset about losing Chang, I think that was more readers and posters than than staff. Um, I know there were a bunch mm-hmm. of us who thought it was the perfect sell high move. Right. Uh, not to pat ourselves on the back here or anything, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he, it, 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 there wasn't really, we, when the guys they traded, I remember just thinking, yeah, okay, that's, I can live with trading that we weren't particularly happy getting Bedard, but, uh, it was also, you know, eh, if those are the guys they gave up, it's fine. Um, so that's the Eric Bedard trade and that's where they are now. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back with some audio from new stars for young stars. So stick around. Welcome back. It's the 51st edition of the SoxProspects.com podcast. We've lost Ian. It's uh, so Chris Hatfield. I'm back with Matt Heagle. And this past weekend, the two of us went to the New Stars for Young Stars fundraiser for the Jimmy Fund. It's always a great event for those of you out there who haven't been able to check one out. I, I really suggest getting down to Jillian's uh, next year for the event. It's uh, at Jillian's at Lucky Strike Lanes on Ipswich Street, right next to Fenway Park. And each year, what it is, is the Red Sox send a few minor leaguers, uh, occasionally a major leaguer, or I remember two years ago, Pedro Martinez was there. Uh, this this year, the lineup included AJ, AJ Pierzynski, Blake Swihart, Mookie Betts, Drake Britton, and Ruby De La Rosa. Uh, that's that's the full uh, full roster, right, Matt? Did you say AJ Pierzynski? I did. 
I did okay. at yeah. the top. So yep. he was kind of the draw. He was the guy whose name was on the back of the shirts of the volunteers working. And like I said, it's a great event. They have uh, they start out out back with kind of a meet and greet with the players and a bunch of the Jimmy Fun kids. There's a room out back at Lucky Strike Lanes where essentially they have pool tables. They have uh, – what else do they have? Do they have foosball too, I think? Uh, uh... Yeah, they do. Something like that, but it's, it's, it's sort of like a party, you know, yeah. birthday party type type. That's room. exactly it. You know that place you had the, your birthday party in as a kid? That's yeah. that's the room. Um, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So the kids get to hang out with the players, and after that, there's an autograph signing. The players go out to the lanes. They sit down and sign your various photos and baseballs and the homemade baseball cards that some of you creepers make at home. Um, <laughs> and you don't even have to be creepy to do it. That's the best part. No, I'm sorry. I kid, sort of. But uh, there's also an auction. It's a neat event for good cause, as always. I uh, highly suggest going. I, I enjoy getting out there when I can. And what we're going to do now is we just have some audio from the event with some of the players. We figured that uh, this week we don't have a guest, but we do have some audio from the guys, from us talking to them. And we got some good stuff. Uh, Matt, I would say all all good guys this year. Um yeah, definitely. Uh, Swihart was back for a second year and and got praised for doing that. And uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely easy easy interviews. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the one player who we might as well start here. Um, the Ruby De La Rosa audio is is not great. Um, the the problem with that back room with a bunch of kids running around in it <laughs> is as as you'll hear when we when I play this Swihart audio is that the sound doesn't come out great. So the audio isn't really great or worth playing, but just to kind of pass along some of the things he was talking about, those of you who've read the standard best shape of his life stories that have run this week have heard some of this, but uh, he did talk about how this was the first off season in a couple of years where he's felt a hundred percent or he wasn't, you know, rehabbing from Tommy John or anything like that. Uh, he talked about how he's been working in the Dominican, at least I think in the Dominican. He didn't, I don't know if he actually said that, come to think of it. But I, I guess I assumed the Dominican because he pitched for Lycee in the Dominican Winter League uh, a couple times. But he'd, he's been working with Pedro Martinez uh, a little bit, which is always good to hear. And uh, finally, I, I, I asked him if the team had communicated to him at all about, about whether he would be starting or leaving this year. He said they had not, which is not a surprise. It's, it's pretty rare that the team has talked to guys about that at this point, um, even if they have their own you know, internal discussions. But uh, he said, while he prefers starting, he uh, is happy to do anything that'll get him on the major league roster, which is of course, very little of a surprise. Um, As you know, I know you asked Drake Britton that same question, Matt, and we'll be hearing his answer to that in a minute, which was quite similar. So uh, I guess we might as well just jump right into the audio we do have for you guys. And to start, uh, I think we'll start with Blake Swihart. Um, when I I was the one who talked to Blake, and uh, his interview was in kind of two parts. At the beginning, it was uh, myself and the rest of the the press corps that was there, essentially. Uh, Alex Spear of WEI.com, uh, Brian McPherson of the Providence Journal, um, Ian Brown of MLB.com, Scott Lauber, Scott Lauber of uh, the Boston Herald. Uh, Craig Ford. Oh, Craig Ford. Yeah, Craig Ford from uh, Boston.com as well was there, um, although he wasn't there when we were talking to Blake. I don't know if I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting anybody. But at any rate, that doesn't oh, matter. Chris, Chris Cotillo. Oh, course. Chris Cotillo was there. That's right. 
the Chris Cotillo. Uh, <laughs> so we got to meet him. Rising and, um, star. Oh, from, uh, gosh, ESPN.com. I'm blanking on his name. Um, oh, yeah, Kyle. Kyle. He was an uh, intern. I forget his last Kyle name. the intern. <laughs> yeah. No, we, uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll look that up. Actually, yeah, can you look that up while we play the Blake audio? Um, I'll, uh, I'll play the beginning part. Um, anyways, the point of bringing that up is that you can't really hear the questions too well, so I'll kind of, uh, introduce what he, uh, what he talked about. Uh, this first question, he, uh, Blake was asked about what he's doing this off season, and he talks about, uh, Working out back home in Albuquerque. Uh, so here is Blake Swihart. Just been working out. Just, yeah, back. I'm in Albuquerque, but working out with a bunch of the other pro guys there. Just hitting every day, lifting every day, trying to put on size and mass. Yeah. Where are you up to? Um, about 200 pounds. Yeah. How different is that from when you turned pro? Um, that's, that's well. I weighed in at 164 when I first signed. So yeah. Almost 40 pounds. And I mean, I feel better. I can move just as well as I did then. If I'm not faster, more flexible, so it's been good. How much of a balancing act is that to like you know gain strength versus? Well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. You can lift and work out, but you got to maintain your flexibility. You don't want to get tight to where you can't throw the ball or swing a bat. So, um, big thing with me is stretching. So that's Blake talking about how he's been working out in Albuquerque. How he has uh, let's see, he's up to 200 pounds from being 164 when he first signed, but still faster, more flexible. So, hey, who says you need to wait till spring training to have the uh, the best shape of his life stories, right? Um, but at any rate, this, this next question is uh, he's getting asked about paying attention to what's going on in Boston uh, at this uh, this offseason with the Red Sox, you know, choosing to sign A.J. Pierzynski on a one-year deal as opposed to going out and getting a Carlos Ruiz type or Brian McCann type. Uh, on a longer deal. So here's that. This offseason, how curious were you watching what the Red Sox were doing with their like, free agent catcher situation? And like, were you caught off guard by how much that conversation was entwined with, you know, with how they regarded you? Um, I mean, I try not to pay attention. My dad, I let him kind of worry about all that stuff. I'm just going to go out and play and, you know, just try to do my thing to get up here. So. Bringing a catcher for one year, mm-hmm. it's got to be a good sign for you. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, we'll see. I got I still got to perform, though. I got to do my – I know I got to play like I know how to play, so. What do you feel like you took the biggest strides this year? Uh, over year? everything. I mean, I calmed down at the batter's box. I was more comfortable catching. I learned, I learned how to call pitches in better situations. Just, I improved everywhere. I think I can improve again more this year. You know, just getting more comfortable. My first year, I think I was pressing so much, trying to, I guess, prove myself. And that last year, I just went out and played and had fun again, and it was a lot of fun. So that question at the end was uh, about what Blake felt that he had improved the most. And see, and up next, to he's... Oh, okay, this next part, I really liked his answer to this next question. He was basically asked about Pierzynski, who was there, and he talks about working, uh, talking with other catchers in the system. He talked about working with David Ross, uh, showing up early in spring training with Jared Saltalamacchia, uh, he talks about working with Jason Veritek as well. That's when he says that he came to Salem twice to watch games. Uh, he's talking about Jason Veritek. Um, and then at the end, I asked him about Christian Vasquez. Uh, so that is this. 
Are you, uh, are you looking forward to, you know, maybe picking AJ's brain a little bit, too, getting to know him? Oh, definitely, definitely. Any catcher, Ross, I talked to Salty last year. I mean, any catcher that comes in that has more, way more experience catching than I do, I definitely pick their brain. I talk to them. Uh, Chad Epperson, my catching coordinator, he and I are always having conversations. I've had conversations with Veritech. Every day, I see these guys. If I have a question, I'm going to ask. Even if I don't have a question, I make one up so I can hear what they have to say. Whether it be catching or hitting, or how to balance both of them together. So. When did you get stuck salty? Just the spring training? Or? Yeah, spring training. He and I both showed up early, and uh, he and I talked a little bit. We talked about how we catch enough the ballers and stuff like that. How much did you work with Veritech? Uh, he came down to Salem twice to work with me and watch the games and stuff like that so that's pretty cool what did you take away from him you know just he's just a book of knowledge anything he says has a meaning so whether it's I mean he and I talked one day all about hitting switch hitting he was a switch hitter I mean we were talking about just different stuff like that and then carrying it over to catching that you can't like carry it over like if say if you have a bat at bat you can't carry that over the field because now you, you gotta be one with the pitcher and make sure the pitcher gets his job done so I mean it's pretty pretty good another catcher you always kind of get mentioned the same breath as is Christian Vasquez how much do you talk with him do you have any contact um, he and I usually just in spring training he and, I, he and I has always been pretty cool to each other he'll mess around with me last year after he came down from big league camp he's like hey man you're in my locker I was like oh <laughs> sorry <laughs> I mean so I mean we've never I mean it's it's a good it's a good we're, we're friends I mean there's nothing no we're not knocking heads at all so I mean it's good so he and I get along really well yeah. messing with each other it's Good to see guys that are going to be playing together for a while, having some some camaraderie. Um, and next up, he talks about uh, he talks about a couple of things. First off, he talks about winning the Mills Cup, and then he says says some stuff about who a guy who we'll hear from later uh, in Mookie Betts. And I think we'll just let it run through that. And uh, and after that, he gets asked again about going back to the playoffs when he talks about that he's not hitting that he didn't hit that well. Um, he, he actually didn't hit very well at all in the playoffs. I think his average might have been below 100. But uh, he talks about that a little bit and on what he needs to improve. Last year you got to win a Mills Cup with Salem. Yeah. Uh, how much, I mean, obviously in the minor leagues it's about personal development a lot, but how much does winning a championship go into that? You know, it's cool. The group better? of guys we had were just guys going out and having fun. Like, it may not have been, it may not have been, because at first we weren't winning and then all of a sudden second half we just turned it on and just took over and I don't think we lost in like well we have five losses our last 30 games or something like that I mean it was it was impressive what we did and just the guys were going out having fun and just playing the season was going by quick so why not stay an extra two weeks and get a championship in a ring Mookie's arrival kind of coincided with that hot start. definitely what was what was it like watching him there you know I mean that kid blew up this year it was it was impressive watching him play and uh, I remember, I remember him coming up. And he was like, he and I are pretty close. Our lockers right next to each other. He would ask me, "Hey, man, is the pitching different? Is that much harder?" I was like, "Dude, just go relax. You'll be fine. I've seen you play. You're fine." I mean, he would just go out, and it was impressive watching him play and just how he's developed in that fully, that year. Were you surprised by anything he was doing there? Uh, I mean, just his power. He went from hitting, he said he didn't hit any home runs in high school, didn't hit any home runs in Lowell, and he comes out and hits, what, 15 this year total? Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's really finding finding your swing and finding confidence in your uh, bats. Does that give you confidence, like, if it, you know, that you can make kind of a similar leap? Oh, definitely. It gives everyone. I mean, hey, if you see someone else do it, there's no reason that you can't do it either. But, I mean, that's just impressive what he did. Yeah. It was awesome. And I enjoy watching my close friends like that do that stuff. 
those playoff games, when it kind of gets away from just your own development, which it is for most of the year, and then it's like, you know, the final score starts to really matter more. What do you get out of that as you're sort of learning how to play the game? Um, just that it's mainly about me catching. Like, I, I know I didn't hit that well. That's that's kind of my fault, just because I was so focused. I feel like I was so focused on catching and making sure our pitchers got through each inning, just because I wanted to win so bad that, uh, you know, you, I feel like in the playoff time it's really when you focus on catching, really when you focus on being along with the pitcher and calling okay. the right pitches at the right time. That's the end of part one of the interview. Um, the second part that comes up, this is me talking to him afterwards, uh, so you'll be able to hear me. So I think we'll just let that part run. Um, so. Uh, we will uh, listen to my the second part of my discussion with uh, with Blake Swihart right here. You're obviously a Texas slash New Mexico boy. The the fact is this year you're probably going to be up in Portland playing in New England in not quite the same climate you might be used to. Has has playing in New England something you thought about at all? No, not at all. I mean, I like it up here. I like I like the weather so far. So I mean, I don't think that's going to bug me too bad. I'm just going to go out and play like normal. Okay. One thing I want to ask you about too, you pitched this, you caught some really good pitchers in Salem this year. Owens, uh, Diaz had a great year. Johnson. Just about the quality of the pitchers you've been able to catch here. Has it been impressive to you? Has there been anyone that stood out or anything uh, like that? I mean, definitely. It's definitely been impressive. All these guys have improved so much from when they first started. Their control's better. Their pitches are better. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing. All these guys have improved so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just impressive. Uh -huh. How about uh, Owens in particular is a guy who really blew up this year. You know, he had that no-hit streak with you guys before he got called up. Yeah. What was he doing that made him really successful? This he year? was just being confident in himself. He was just pitching, having fun. I mean, he was so confident. It was awesome. I'd go out there. He would never shake me off. He would just call whatever I threw what I called, and he, tr he trusted it and had confidence in every pitch he had. So so you're the one who was responsible, that's what you're saying? I wasn't responsible. <laughs> okay. I just suggested. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Go ahead. You can order. It's fine. Order your food. I get the uh, lucky strike with no lettuce and tomato. The record show Blake has ordered a club sandwich. Yes. <laughs> been a long day for you, so I'm sure uh, you wouldn't eat. But um, is there anybody in the staff? I know you guys had some relievers that did really well, too, that may be a little more intelligent. Is there anybody that you feel maybe didn't get their credit out of that pitching staff, maybe, that, you know, maybe should be getting a little more notice for how well they pitched? Anybody that comes to mind, maybe? Uh, you know, Matt Yacht pitched really well. Uh, I know he had a couple couple bad outings, not really necessarily bad outings, but where the hitters jumped on him early yeah. in the season, so his ERA was up, but I mean, he, he came through in some tough situations. When Noe was gone, Matty Ott was our go-to guy. He had a couple really long outings, I think, so too, for definitely. a reliever, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Matty Ott really, I mean, he was really almost the go-to guy when we were in trouble. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So. Excellent. All right, so that's Blake Swihart, um, connoisseur of the Lucky Strike Club sandwich, uh, as you heard. Um, actually, maybe I'll take that out. I don't know. At any rate, um, it's it's. I think it's the first interview I've ever done where someone ordered food while I was interviewing them. But uh, at any rate, yeah, he definitely has his head on his shoulders, right? I, I think as we were talking, uh, you you kind of said it, Matt. He kind of he definitely has his head on right about catching, about putting that first. Um, almost to his detriment at times too. Yeah, I mean, he admitted he admitted that much, uh, but you know, it's probably a good thing for his development to focus on that. And you know, it's it's pretty impressive for a guy who barely caught in in high school 
um, and before becoming a professional to really uh, realize how important that is to the game and to the pitchers. And, you know, it's sort of a selfless position and uh, mm-hmm. seems like he has his head in the right place. Yep. Yep. And a guy who's, it's not like he's not going to hit either. I mean, he'll hit. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely he's interested in learning about it. You know, I love the fact that he's, you know, talking about talking to Jason Veritek about catching and switch hitting and, you know, being one with the pitcher. So it's very, very Zen. <laughs> but yeah, so he was, he was a good guy to talk to. And they, it's funny. He was, he was sporting a beard at new stars for young stars. And I noticed today in photos from the rookie development program that he has, he has shorn the beard. The beard is gone. Hmm. Uh, so it looks, sounds like the Red Sox minor league facial hair protocol will be back in full effect. Uh, it it kind of got relaxed at the end of last season. They, they apparently felt a little bit hypocritical to say you can't have beards, but the entire major league team does. But at any rate, uh, we might as well go to uh, Mookie Betts next, Matt. So Matt, you talk to him. We're going to be hearing your dulcet tones interviewing him. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you got to talk with Mookie about, and we'll play that. Yeah, well, um, obviously, as uh, Swihart said, it was really a breakout season for Betts, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he was a he was a decent prospect in in the past year but uh more of a utility type prospect really and the power was just uh kind of explosive this year and um just as a heads up i I wrote an article about uh based on this interview on espn boston so go check that out and uh yeah i mean i just mostly asked him about his breakout season and uh, i think we'll just uh hear the interview in full from here here it is last year was sort of a i mean definitely a breakout season for you what do you attribute that to overall would you say uh just work just trying to work hard in the off season trying to make things happen and um, now again this year's gonna be a new year so i have to forget last year and try and do good this year and last year greenville was kind of a, a t- had a tough time how did you deal with that that losing being on a losing team and what did you learn from that experience uh it's tough, you know, but each day is a different day. You have to go into each day with a new attitude, and um, it, it's it, learning. Learning was a way of life, you know. Sometimes, sometimes everything's not going to go your way. You have to be patient with the process. And I really taught taught me, you know, things with life and as well as baseball too. And then with the transition to high A, it seemed like, I mean, you really excelled at that uh, point. What were sort of the differences and how were you able to handle those those uh, adversities? Um, again, just trying to focus on day, day-to-day, you know, coming in, coming each day with a new attitude, saying I'm going to get better today and try to just keep that attitude even when I got called up. You know, nothing changed. Um, just being, being a new group of guys and learning them, learning to be with them, that's pretty much the only thing. And what about, uh, I mean, last year you had a big spike in your home run power. What, yeah. Can you attribute that to anything specifically? Preparation? Uh, or? Yeah, probably just preparation in the off season. you know. Um, I didn't know I could do it. But, um, you know, once once you do it a couple of times, then you're confident and you stop worrying about it. You just let it happen. And that's kind of what happens here. And you, you also had the steel skull along with that, but, I mean, only caught four times. That was probably the most impressive thing. What I mean, did you, would you consider yourself more of a speed guy, or do you think you're you're good at reading the pitchers and that's more your strength? Um, probably just reading the pitchers. I don't consider myself really that fast. Um, just just getting a good read on the pitchers is, is, is huge, whether you're fast or not. 
And what about the AFL this uh, offseason? How is that? I mean, that's sort of uh, closer to double-A competition probably. Was that, I mean, the toughest competition you faced so far? Definitely. Um, that, that, that was that was really tough, you know, getting getting see guys number ones, number twos, you know, every day, even deep into the bullpen. So I mean, it was great learning, though. I'm I'm really happy I got got the chance to go and to see it because uh, I feel like it'll be somewhat an advantage for me going into this next year. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the, considered the biggest jump to Double A. A lot. Are you? Are you, uh, we're, uh, you know, nervous about that at all, or I mean, how are you preparing for that? Um, I wouldn't say I'm nervous. You know, I'm just I'm excited about it. Hopefully, hopefully I do make that way out. I have no idea, but if I was to, then you know, I'd be really excited about it, knowing that you know, just one step closer. And uh, what about with with the bowling lanes here? I have to ask you, uh, what, what, are you gonna do any bowling? Or show uh, show uh, these guys up? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I may get in there. Do you been, still bowl? Been, nah, it's been a it's been a long time. I grew up in the bowling alley, so yep. somewhat kind of burnt out. But I mean, yeah, I'll still get in there and try it. Was that ever? I mean, did any skills ever transfer over? Do you feel like? I mean, does, does yes. that relate to baseball in any way? Just it's kind of a stretch. Oh, only, yeah. Only thing is, you know, yeah, each each shot you throw on the lane is kind of like each at, each at bat. You know, you have to just mentally prepare for each one. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much, I would say, the only similarity. All right, all right. Thank you. All right, thank you. Good luck. That was the interview. Good guy to talk to. Um, had some interesting stuff to say. I mean, you had so to ask that... him about bowling. Yeah, exactly. You had to ask him about the bowling. I couldn't couldn't get by in a bowling alley without uh, without <laughs> slipping that in there. <laughs> I'll 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 fess up. I I told you I knew you were a chump if you didn't. Away, on the <laughs> I thought it was interesting though that he said he was he was burnt out on it. Yeah. At this point, spent my whole life in the bowling alley. Man. <laughs> Sounds like a tough <laughs> tough life. Tough. No. <laughs> um, we we know nothing about Mookie Betts' upbringing. So let's uh, preface that comment with that. But. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, good dude. He was definitely having fun. Uh, there's a great, uh, great photo from, uh, at least on the Sox prospects news page that you pulled off of Kelly O'Connor's website because Kelly was at the event. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to get that out pool. there. Yeah, no, that was a great photo. Um, yeah, yeah, the the photo of you interviewing him apparently didn't come out, which made me quite sad. Yeah, but I gotta gotta figure out where that went. Tough. <laughs> well, according to Kelly, it's a tough room to shoot in because of the low light levels combined with open windows. Right. Um, yeah, she said something about that. Yeah. Yeah. She said something about having learning how to use a flash, but um, I feel like she probably knows more than she lets on. About <laughs> I'm but sure she knows more than any of us. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um. Anyway, we let's go into our last interview. The last guy you t the last you talked to was Drake Britton. So yep. you want to talk about that a little. Sporting yeah. Mohawk still, by the way. Yeah, 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 he was. And uh he yeah, he had a big season obviously making his way up to the majors and making his debut. And uh you know, got off to a bit of a rocky start in spring, which I uh mentioned at the end of the interview, um, you know, yeah. which which he addresses, you know, quite well and uh it was good for him for answering that cuz I'll admit we we didn't know whether he'd talk about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and he seemed to have definitely moved on from that and just wants to you know, make sure that's that's not what defines him is is what he said. So you'll you can uh, hear that now. Here it is. Last year, I mean, what was that experience like starting in Portland and then you know finishing with the World Series, Red so winning Red Sox? It was, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, just to just to keep working hard, I mean, no matter what, and just stay focused and you know just never losing that that drive. You know, to to want to take the next step. Um, it was it was very emotional, you know, for me, and it was it was an unbelievable feeling. 
And what about, you know, when you actually got the call up in your MLB debut, how did that uh, play out and how, how did that go for you? It was, I mean, it was good. I was I was definitely really nervous. You know, there was there was a lot that I was thinking about. You know, this is like what I dreamed of, you know, what I've been working for like my whole life and it was finally coming true. So it was an unbelievable feeling, one that, you know, I'll never be able you know, to, to explain. And what about, I mean, sorry, just getting thrown in the bullpen. I mean, you really had very little experience in a true relief role. How, yeah. how did that uh, work for you? How did you adapt to that? Um, um, I just kept an open mind. You know, I tried not to go in there and think that I knew everything about relieving. You know, I just went there. I picked the brains of the guys who were out there and just did the best I could to to fill that role. You know, at the time because you know Andrew, you know Miller had gone down. Um, but you know, I was still pitching in the big league, so you know, I just I was I was willing to do whatever it took to get the job done. And what about moving forward on that? I mean, have you got any indication from the team whether they want you to keep relieving or starting? No, I haven't. You know, I'll go down to spring training and. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever I'm told to do down there is what I'll do. And I mean, you don't have? Do you have a strong preference? I mean, will you be happy with a relief role going forward? Uh, to to me, I don't have a preference. You know, I want to I want to pitch in the in the major leagues. So uh, you know, if they ask me to go back there and catch, I'll do it. You know, I just I just want to play. And I mean, has this offseason been a little different? Or I mean, it's been tough watching the Red Sox moves. Like I, you know, seeing if there's going to be a spot for you to compete for or not. Uh, I mean, it hasn't been tough. You know, I don't. You know, all I can do is worry about myself um, and get ready for spring training. And uh, you know, I'll go down there and I'll I'll fight. You know, do whatever I have to do to to win my job back. And you know, that's that's all I can that's all I can focus on. I want to ask you about uh, like curveball versus slider. I mean, early in your career, curveball was a big pitch, right? I mean, is the slider sort of your go-to breaking pitch at this point? Uh, the slider definitely is. I've worked, I worked all season, you know, on it, and I feel like I got, I got a great feel for it to throw it for a strike to, to, you know, to strike a guy out with it. Um, you know, it's just, I feel like it's just a better fit for me and my arm action. You know, the curveball I struggle with too much, and slider, you know, I feel like I can definitely, you know, I picked it up really quick. And there's a lot of guys, uh, you know, really good pitching prospects like yourself in the upper minors in the same areas you that you came up with. Do you feel like sort of a sense of camaraderie? Can you learn from each other? Oh that yeah, sort of thing? yeah. We definitely, um, you know, we're all we're all real close. Um, you know, when it comes to that, because we've come up together, we have had success together. You know, we we push each other. You know, push each other to do to do better than the guy. You know, before you just did. You know, it's definitely it's a competition, but I mean, we're all still friends at the end of the day. And lastly, I just want to ask you, season got off to a bit of a rock to start in spring last year. How did you move past that incident and sort of uh, grow as a player from that? I mean, it, it took a while. Um, you know, it was just an unfortunate thing. I made a mistake. Uh, but I feel like I, once I finally got back on track, I focused on what was more important, and that was my career and where I was going moving forward. You know, that that incident didn't define me as a person. Um, and I feel like I, I showed that. I showed, you know, a lot of heart coming back from that to, to end up in Boston the way that I did. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the way I, you know, handled things after that. So. All right, thank you. Good luck. And there it is. Yeah, I, I like we said when we ran uh, when we introed that clip, I, I was happy he talked about um, that, of course, the, the DUI that he got in spring training. Um, he seemed he seemed pretty sincere about it as well. Is that the... Yeah, yeah, he was... He was he was a good guy to talk to, and uh, he you know, had a lot of good things to say. And and you know, I was uh, I was uh, I was afraid he'd get a little uh, touchy when when I brought that up. But he he seemed you know like he was ready for it and oh, just ready yeah. to move on and 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 put it in his past. And uh, like he said, he you know he did he did kind of show some heart to uh, battle back from that and make the majors the same season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Interesting. I, I liked what he had to say about uh, you know battling for a spot in the majors as well. Uh, you could tell he wants to be up there, and and that's mm-hmm. normal for guys. You know, they get up there, they don't want to go back to Pawtucket. You know, even though I mean, Britain really didn't spend much time there to be honest. But right. um, you know, the miners generally, I guess, they don't want to go back. So I like how he said he was you know he was going to fight for his roster spot in camp. Uh, we'll we'll see. If, yeah, and, uh, and if the spot's there, but and even though it's, I'm sure it's not true. He said that he had you know, really absolutely no preference to starting or relieving, and he'd be happy to be a reliever if he can make it to majors that way. So, you know, that's the right well, attitude, even if, you, you know, know it's I'm funny. sure he'd want to be a starter if, if yeah. he could have his well, way. Well, it, it seems like he's kind of realistic about that stuff, too, because one of the, the other thing that I liked is he mentioned how the slider is better for the way he pitches. Uh, right. His, his arm slot, I believe, was what he said, right? Yeah, that was um, one of the more interesting things. Yeah, so he, you know, I think he's kind of realistic about that, so maybe he kind of realizes, you know what, maybe... The, you know, when, when I asked Ruby De La Rosa about it, he was like, you know, hey, I'd prefer to start, but if relieving gets me to the majors, great. Um, you know, Drake, he, he had the quip about catching if that got him to the majors. But right. uh, when you asked about that, it did seem like he was kind of like, I don't know, maybe a little more, not, re- not more realistic than De La Rosa was, but maybe he might kind of realize, hey, the I could be a very, very good reliever or maybe, you know, as a starter, I'm a taxi squad guy, especially seeing all those other guys in that triple-A um, taxi squad of pitchers. Uh, we've uh, there there isn't room in the AAA rotation to be frank uh, for for Drake Britton. So that's what he's likely to stay in the bullpen. That's where we have him projected, and maybe he kind of sees that. So um, be interesting to see mm-hmm. what they do with him with Andrew Miller healthy again as well. Uh, between right. Miller and Breslow being lefties in the major league bullpen, would they, would they go with three lefties? Uh, I'm not sure. I honestly don't know either way. But we uh, yeah. shall see. Think they would if 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 it made sense, but if it yeah, gives we'll them the see. best seven man bullpen, sure, right? That's yeah. that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Well, it depends. It depends on other stuff too. But at any rate, I think that's a, a good place to wrap up. Thank you everybody for listening uh, to another edition of the SoxProspects.com podcast. Like I said at the top, you can always email us podcast at SoxProspects.com. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com/SoxProspects. Join our forum. It's uh, there's a link on the front page of the website. Uh, join us, talk some Red Sox, bring some, uh, show us what you got, bring some intelligence to the conversation. We're always happy to hear it. Uh, got some questions, you can get them answered there too. So, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Matt, say goodbye to the people. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Right. We'll be back, uh, not quite sure when. Uh, maybe we'll get a guest next time. Who knows? Maybe we'll work on that. We'll see. But at any rate, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Chagarun, 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 Chagar